You're listening to a DM podcast. Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I used to rob banks in the 80s and 90s and did 23 years in prison in three different states. It took 30 years to talk about the sexual abuse that happened to me and the spiral into crime, addiction and depression that all occurred as a result. Now, having turned my life around, I talk openly to inspirational people about trauma, survival, transformation and hope. I am Russell Manser and this is The Stick Up. Danny Shannon spent half of his life trying to score heroin in Sydney's Cabramatta, back when it was on every street corner. He hit rock bottom after 17 years, but now has developed a program to help others heal. And he's sharing his story in the hopes it will lead others on a journey of recovery. Danny Shannon is the founder of Encapsulator, a company providing digital time capsule videos allowing individuals to reflect on their present moment. Welcome to The Stick Up, Danny Shannon. Thanks very much, Russ. Pleasure to be here, mate. Danny, I'd, I'd like to kick off by thanking you because you, you've been a part of my own recovery. Recovery. I, I first met you in Glebe House in 2012, where you were working there, and I think I think you were three years clean at the time. Would that be right? That's about right, mate. Yes, 2012. I was three years clean. I just started working at Glebe House, I believe. Yeah, and look, you know, I for one, you know, I, I contribute. Glebe House to be a part of my own recovery and my own journey, and I think you'd say the same, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely, man. It's a huge part of my journey. That place kind of helped me build a life worth living, yeah? Yeah. Big time. All right, tell us where it all started, mate. Where'd you grow up? Cabramatta. I went to school Ooh, in... Um, <laughs> on the front line. <laughs> yeah, but you know what, mate? Like, I went to um, a, a private school in um, in Cabra at first, um, and... Look, I don't, it's all a bit of a blur, to be honest. Like, But anyway, I went to school in Cabra, then I went on to um, school in um, Bosley Park, which is kind of local to the area, um, high school, I should yeah. say. But, but I grew up in Cabra. Back in my day, I should just add, you know, like the Vietnamese community, there was only three, three Vietnamese in my whole school, and I, I remember them particularly, you know. Mm. Um, and then I, I, I reflect back to that because obviously in my days – of using drugs were all in Cabra too, you know, and that was um, a different story. What was your family structure like? Mate, um, I always talk about having this beautiful mum, um, uh, quite a loving mum who um, I think taught me all my values and morals, you know. Mum was beautiful and, and so is dad, but dad's a criminal. Dad um, taught me everything I shouldn't I shouldn't know, you know. So my dad um, kind of helped me. He funded my a lot of my addiction in the early days as well. He used to put in orders for stolen equipment. But mum, like I said, so I had this beautiful, loving mum. What a contrast, yeah. Yeah, it was, um, and it was always the way to mum always um, kind of, they got divorced or something, separated when I was quite young. But um, it was kind of like that, you know, like mum was this beautiful. So did you go and stay at the two different exactly, places? Exactly, bro. Yeah. I'd play them off one another until I turned 14 and it kind of... um. We went on this last hurrah up to Queensland. They moved up to my mum and dad moved up to Queensland. They thought we would try and get away, like like a geographical. You yeah. know? They thought maybe we could take Danny up to up to Bundaberg, and um, and that was where it kind of all really began. You know, that's where the drug. They took the problem with them. Yeah, they took me with <laughs> Russ, <laughs> mate. And what happened was the day I got up to Bundy. That was the first night I got stoned, drunk. Um, stoned on pot, drunk on on maybe. Rum. Um, I think it was Stone's ginger wine. To be honest, yeah. I remember that was putrid stuff. And also um, the cream bulbs. Remember Nangs? Yeah, mm. that, they were around back yeah. in, back in the day. So um, so they're the things you gas the yeah, soda streams up with. Yeah, yeah, they're putrid things. Those yeah. things just kill your brain cells instantly. Like I a big punch you. Oh. They punch your lungs and do some horrible oh. stuff to them. And I see them laying around my house, actually. Like, there must be... They're still doing it, you know? Yeah. But to go back, like, my childhood, I'll just... I'll add this because I think it's important to add this, you know? When I first started doing recovery stuff, I used to compare myself to a lot of other people's stories. 
And like I said, I got this pretty beautiful mum, you know. Um, like I, I honestly think a lot of my values and morals that I have today is from my mum. My dad, mate, he's cool too. Like my dad used to visit me in jail every week, you know. He used to even do whack up for me in jail. Like my dad was the best, you know. But he, <laughs> he was, was an all, enabler. He was an enabler. Like, but it was all about him too because he'd be putting in stolen equipment orders like it was computers back in the day he my dad was a big computer head and he'd buy anything but he'd um want us to get a computer and we'd go and do over the local um you know warehouse or whatever it was to get those computers um so yeah mum beautiful mum dad um look my dad was kind of a criminal growing up as well so he he done he got himself in his own shit as well um and he'd always I should always say he was never um he was never there for my mum maybe you know yeah. so I learned that part of from like I am my dad in a lot of ways I had to fight that for the last thirteen years in recovery but often it's hard isn't it what you don't like in someone that you are yeah mate like I think oh. I used to sit in jail I used yeah, to sit in jail sure. and one day I, there was a certain bloke I hated because he was so vain. And my mate said, you and him were exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to fucking fight that. I'd go, I'm nothing like him. He'd go, fucking, you're everything like him. What you hate in that bloke, what you don't like in that bloke is what you are. Yeah. And that was a hard pill to swallow. Oh, mate, I, I get it for sure. Like that thing, you know, when you're pointing the finger at someone else, you got three pointing back at yourself. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and and I, I love to justify it. I love to argue the fact that it's not always the case, you know. Yeah. Which, and I think sometimes that might be true, but generally, yeah. if someone's loud and obnoxious, it's probably because I, I see something in myself. Yeah. And then that annoys me and pisses me off, you know. Yeah. And, mate, were it like the drug use? So it started up in Bundaberg, yeah. and then what did it escalate from there? Yeah, cool, man. So, look, it was pretty rapid, mate. And I should add this too, though, for anyone out there who, you know, we talk about the disease of addiction or whatever, addiction, alcoholism being a family disease. Like, my dad, he definitely, my dad's a gambler. Like, that criminal stuff in him, it was all relates back to gambling. So mm. maybe not heroin or, or alcohol, but it was more. Obsessive most, trait of yeah, gambling. Yeah, so, so he had that bug, yeah, but... Um, <clears throat> but even in saying that previous to that, my mum and dad weren't drunk or stoned or anything, but I picked up at 14 and I just never stopped. So, And I think it's important to add that because I think people think it's always like it's you've got to grow up with it in the family, but it's not the case for me exactly. No. You know? I can track it back to my grandma, the Bex. She apparently um, she used to get on the Bex powders. Um, every powders, Yeah, Bex. that's them, yeah. And I remember I remember when I was a kid, I used to walk past this caravan park and all these old grannies would come out and say, mate, because I think they were all banned from buying them. I remember them too, like as a little they're kid. They were full of codeine, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, they were full of codeine. I think they were a pink powder too. Um, I remember them as a kid because my grandma always had them in the house. Um but anyway, mate, yeah, so it escalated from that first night getting drunk and stoned on an outdoor roller skating rink, um, waking up um, in a blackout or unconscious with bodies laying around. And I remember waking up that day and thinking, wow, that was mad, you know, mm. like, let's go. And it, it escalated to a little bit of amphetamines, LSD, magic mushrooms were big up in Bundaberg. Yeah. Pretty much everything except heroin. I thought I'd never touch heroin. I thought the same. Yeah, yeah. There's good examples in my family. My sister-in-law had sisters, and her sisters were on the on the heroin. And I used to, and she used to say to me, "You'll never do that." We and I'd say, "No way. That doesn't look good." No way. Yeah, it doesn't look good from an outsider. I think it's one of those drugs that we grow up with and we feel, well, I felt scared of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. Like, why wouldn't you? Like, heroin is the worst. That's what until ice come along. Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, at the end of the day, heroin will kill you a lot quicker than any other drug, I would I would suggest, at least here in Australia. Mm. I don't know about fucking crazy America and all that mm. shit, but um, heroin will kill you quicker, but yeah, the ice will definitely fuck you up long term. It'll torture you a lot yeah. harder. Oh, yeah. If you said to someone, here's this drug, it's going to keep you up for fucking a week, you're going to feel fucking paranoid, full of anxiety and fucking fear. Would you take it? The fucking addict will go, fucking oh. <laughs> Yeah. The stiff will go, fuck that. That sounds like torture. Let's go back to So when did yeah. the heroin kick off, mate? Yeah, so I remember I was 15. Did you're back in Sydney? Yeah, then? I came back to Sydney. So, by the way, that trip up to Bundy, right, my mum, 
oh, what about this? Like, I played my mum and dad off. I thought, you know what, this isn't working for me, mate. Mum and dad were together. I said to mum, I said, listen, you two, her and my sister, I said, you should probably go back to Sydney. I swear to God I manipulated this. And they wanted to, right? They weren't happy, right? So maybe you two go back to Sydney. Um, mum wasn't happy with my dad. Maybe you two go back to Sydney. I'll stay up here with Tony, right? That's my dad. I don't mm. call him by his, by his name. And they end up doing that, right? Because they weren't happy. So then I'm left to Bundy with me and my old man. And um, and then he used to travel overseas. I used to go to the Philippines a lot. He had mm. business in other countries, right? Mm. And, um, got pinched for doing some of that stuff as well. But anyway, um, he he would go away and I'd be left to my own devices at 14. You know? mm. And every time he'd come back from a trip overseas, we'd get kicked out of another flat because I'd have some stupid ass party and literally get um get yeah. us evicted and by the third time that happened the third time there was a big hole in between the bedroom and the lounge room through the whole wall um i'd fallen through the through the wall he decided he's moving back to sydney and um oh you're playing that well yeah so then i then i was left to run my own devices up in bundy for about six months i was couch surfing at the age of 14, 15, couch surfing, and I didn't make it, Russ. I thought, old oh, mate, I remember my mate um, Greg come and pick me up in the Yellow Gemini. He come all the way from Sydney, picked me up from Bundy and um, took me back home. And um, Anyway, then I got back to Sydney, um, let's say 15 years of age, and um, picked up heroin for the first time. What was going through your head to think, fuck, I see how destructive that is. I know how dangerous it is, but fuck, I think I'm going to give that a go. You mean the heroin? Yeah. It was something I didn't want to do. I remember sitting in the car. I can remember. I remember sitting in that yellow fucking Gemini at the front of the drug dealer's house. It wasn't a dealer's house actually. It was the guy that was going to take us to Cabra to get on. Right. Mm. I remember. I won't say his name. Right. But I remember sitting at the front of his house, um, and we were going to get him to go buy heroin. And that day, I remember being scared, man. I remember thinking this is a bad idea, you know. Mm. Um, but. My Coey, my best mate, <laughs> um, I was actually When you say Coey, co offender. Yeah, co offender. And when you're doing when you're doing either a crime or you're doing stuff in a, a skullduggery, the person who's with you is often called your co offender because you you you're doing it together. Yeah, and we'd been charged together. I think that's what formally makes you a Coey, is yeah, that yeah. once you've been yeah. charged together for sure. But yeah, me Coey and I call him me Coey because um he's just my Well he's And actually, it can be codependent too. Yeah, for sure, definitely. We probably were. Yeah. He's the only guy do you know it's funny like my coey is like my best mate but my best mate used to rob me and i robbed him like there was no consistency <laughs> to our relationship no. you know like he'd get locked up go missing and i'd clean him out vice versa you know it's kind of like well it was every man for himself you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway my coey he was a guy that at least i could trust each night to go out and do crime with me you yeah. know? we'd go and steal the computers or do whatever mm. it was we needed to do anyway we're sitting in the car and he was keen to get the heroin now he's a bit more fucked up than me. <laughs> oh, Brad, like I remember. But you were fucked up enough to be doing it. Oh, for sure. But I just feel like he was a bit more fucked up. Isn't man. that how we drew comparisons? <laughs> I'm not as bad as him. <laughs> uh, I'm not as bad as you. Bless him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I always done that in my own addiction. I go, oh, at least I don't take pills. Yeah. Fuck, yet. Yeah, was yeah. The yet. I used to have those comparisons go, yeah, I'm not as bad as him. He yep. steals from his fucking mother. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know? Yeah, well, look, I've certainly done that, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, he was, I swear he was worse. I mean, poor guy. Like, he, he reached out to me a couple of years ago. Fuck, like, he's on the ice now. Um, he's, <laughs> all, he's just a mess. But anyway, I remember that day thinking this is a bad idea. And sure enough, next thing you know, I'm um, sitting in a flat in Cabra having a shot of heroin. No furniture. Like, I remember the day pretty clearly, too, you know. Mm. Um, and sure enough, mate, that was the day it all ended. Like, there was that was the beginning of the end. If I thought, and actually, I think using drugs up until that stage was a little bit recreational, you know. Well, I wasn't using alcohol and speed and mushies and trips like... <laughs> Like heroin. heroin. On a daily basis. No, heroin you need to do every single yeah. day, mm. twice a day, mm. whatever you yeah. could be. So, yeah. Whatever, how much you got. Yeah. So, yeah, man. And then from that day forward, <laughs> like, it's almost like clockwork. The cops started coming. Um, you know, I got locked up um, in, in, in um, Cobbin um, mm. for, for, I think the first time I got locked up for was a bunch 
of warrants back in the day, actually. Because yeah. um, they'd lock you up and you'd have to go and- $100 a day, yeah. You'd have to go and sit it out. So if yeah, you owed $1,000 worth of warrants, you'd have to go there for 10 days. Yeah, that's right. Unless maybe someone bailed you out. I don't mm. know. Unless, or was- someone paid them. Yeah, someone but paid them. how it worked, if you'd been in there for two days and cut out $200, they yeah. could pay the 800 and get you out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So let's say, I, pr- I think I got pinched on 10 days. Um, warrants, so locked up from a first time at, at 16. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember sitting at the being at the front door when they fucking come knocking. I don't even think it was coppers. I think it was maybe some kind of sheriff or, nah, it would have been coppers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they took me away that day. So got locked up first time at 16. And then the carnage really began, you know. Like um, I had a girlfriend at the time, um, who, bless her, I blamed her for me picking up her and it was never really her fault. You know, of course it wasn't, it was my fault. So just, we justify yeah, everything yeah, when we start of using Of course. But, yeah, and it, it all started then, mate. By 18, I was locked up, Parramatta, Parramatta Prison. Shit went downhill real quick. I remember I was getting locked up often. I'd get caught for stuff. I was doing stupid shit. I was stealing a lot of cars. Mm. Like Russell's nothing fair to you. It was your fucking, it was your Cortinas, yeah, your, your Sigmas, yeah, yeah, the jiggle with the center, with just anything, yeah. you jiggle it with fucking anything. Pull out the dipstick of the car and <laughs> yeah, fucking stick it in. Um, what else? The, the Gemini's. Um, oh, and the Commodores. We used to do the black box. Push on, and, yeah, yeah, on them. So we're doing a lot of them, and I'd get caught a lot too. Like, um, so I was in and out. I probably had a lot of chances. Um, and I probably had my mum, like, in my corner for a little while there, but once you, you get bail refused, there's nothing they can do for you, yeah. you know? Breaks their heart. Yeah. Bless them, mate. I, I can remember seeing my mum, the look on my mum, in particular my dad's face the first time we got locked up, and, wow, it haunts me today, you know, the pain that I caused my parents, you know, and, and being a parent myself that's going through the same thing, sure. fuck, it's haunting. What about, Russ, when you... Like, what about even in your low, lowest of low when you got pinched, right? Um, in, in a cell, even in a cell with nothing. Like, I always think to those times, and I think it impacts our family way more than it ever hurt me. Like, I was always kind of, I hate to admit it, I don't want to minimise it, but I was kind of always all right. I always had hope I was going to get on again or get out soon. Mm. Would you say that's the case? Sometimes. Like, yeah. When I got pinched on the big one, when I got pinched oh. on five stick-ups, yeah, and I knew that, and, and the people were getting 25 years at that time, I woke up, first thing I did was my bile come out of my stomach because I was on a $1,500 a day heroin habit. Oh, yeah. And I just big mouthful of bile and all over the floor. And then I looked over and next to me with five, there were some charge sheets from armed robberies. I went, oh, you know what? I use that today. And I meditate on that. I go back and meditate on that. I take myself in there for 30 seconds and the emptiness and the void that I had and how I felt mentally. I can, I can take my, I can close my eyes and take myself back there and I'll fucking never pick up if I do that once a day. Well, man. If I feel like using, if I take myself to that, <laughs> More chance of being kicked to death by a sparrow than me picking up that day, I'm fucking telling you. Yeah, that's real heavy, Russ, when you think of it mm. like that. I mean, probably the worst I could think of in comparison to that would be um, maybe at the end of one of my sentences, um, and it was only a 12-month sentence, mm. right? At the end of one of my 12-month sentences, I got pulled in on a DNA thing. Like, <laughs> Don't you hate that? Yeah, the fuckers. I was like on my 11th month, yeah. and, um, and then they end up giving me 18 months for a new fresh charge, but they backdated it. So um, I still had another seven months to go yeah. after that. That was a fucker. That was horrible. Heartbreaking. Ah, oh, heartbreaking. You think you're about to get out. Mm. And really, but the thing is, when back in those days when I was going to get out, I was always just going to go on with it again too, yeah. you know? Yeah, you learn nothing. And Giles, you know, it's funny when I hear people talk about, what was your first take on Parramatta? Um, so I clearly fucking remember reception, you know. Um, that would be the first. You know, getting out of that, that. Can I just ask you this one yeah, question before yeah. we go? Was it the holiday resort that they report in the fucking media? Oh, Russ, I had draw with the first day at Parabate. No, it was not <laughs> the holiday resort, no. Yeah, I remember it like it was horrible. I was 18, you know? yeah. Um, I was 18. Um, so honestly, I, I'll share this story for you. I was 18. I'd got off that truck and I'm in the reception so I was, you know, the, yeah. uh, I think it's like the clinic or the office was in front of me and the reception so I was uh, 
the open big cells and there'd be maybe yeah. 10 of us yeah. thrown in there. There was two. All waiting to get processed. You're all waiting to get processed and go through reception. Mm-hmm. There was two cells, I think, There was with a wall down the middle of it. The ones that had just come in and the ones that had been processed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's probably yeah. what it was. Yeah. Well, as one of the old, one, one of the boys had been processed, or maybe he was going in to get processed, he handed me three cigarettes, right? Three tailor-mates, oh, right? Here we go. Yeah, all right. Oh. Three tailor-mates. And, um, mate, he's probably. 24, maybe I'm 18, mm. or maybe he's older. He's, I think he's got a bit of experience yeah. with Jay, or I've got no experience mm. with Jay. He's passed me in the back of the Talamese. And I think I understood, yeah, I meant to hold him for him till he comes out, right? But then one of the other boys in the cell had seen him pass him to me, but they were, we smoked the Talamese, mm-hmm. right? We smoked the Talamese, and, um, and then next thing you know, um, I am in... The back wing that was right up against six, the oval, against the oval. Um, six wing. Yeah, six wing. Yeah, yeah. I'm in six wing. Um, down the front of the cells. I mean, near down the, the down the bottom. You would have been reception cells. Yeah, yeah I was down at the bottom. Yeah. About it was at, on the exit to to walk out the building. Boom! I get fucking. Oh, so they'd been asking questions. Where's me smokes and all that? I said. I think I said. I don't remember what I said, but I like it was a lie. Like I didn't say I smoked them. I said something. Oh, mm-hmm. they went. You know, I got them taken off me. Something like that. Mm-hmm. So he'd rounded up all his mates. Um, this guy because it was like this whole wing came at me, mm-hmm. sort of thing. And um, and anyway, it was a clean fire. It was just me and him out the front. Like over oh, three cigarettes. That's how. Oh, that's how minimal. It could have been a lot worse, but I yeah. think worse. Like I really took the piss. Really, like I smoked. I fucking had a cigarette. Mm-hmm. I smoked it, um, and I think I give old mate a smoke too. And I tried to just. I had no idea, Russ. So my first day, within the next morning, I was I was in a fucking a bit of a blue and um. So that was my introduction to Parramatta. It was shit, bro. I was scared. And, uh, just ex- describe what it was like, old, decrepit, full of cockroaches. Oh, yeah, it was, yeah. I don't remember what month it was, but it was a cold place, you know, and I'd spent a bit of time there over the, over the years too. Like, mm. I'd definitely done the whole B-wing thing. Living. I think I was even in drug court down, and that was putrid, down in the bottom of one of those wings Boring, in drug man. court um, yeah. for, for a while too. Yeah, man. Like, There's no um, privacy in there. Nah. Well, except I guess the difference with the cells is, from what I remember, there was just one tiny little hole in your in your door, Front wasn't door, it? Yeah, That's all there door. was. Like, yeah, yeah. once you get locked in, and they they'd open up the door, I think, like at six a.m. and kick your milk in mm. or something, and you fucking weepies. But um, yeah, like once you're in there, and you could spend twenty three hours of the Some day. Some days, man. days at a time. I definitely remember the shower block too. Like that was one of the jails where you had to shower all together. Some drama goes down there, yeah, mate. Yeah, I've actually seen some. If you get positioned, just to explain that, it'd be showers, 10 blokes showering side by side with no cubicles, no doors, no yeah. nothing out in an open, and, and you know, fucking don't, mate, that's, if you're going to, if someone's going to get stabbed or bashed or something, that's where it's going to kick off. Yeah. Russ, to answer your question, mate, that was a scary prison to be in. Like, it's like the old school you know, well, I know because I've been to the bay too. I remember like 12 wing at the bay was exactly the same jail mm. as far as I can remember. Yeah, like yeah. it's exactly the same system. Same with um, Bathurst too. Yeah. It was all those different to MRRC. Yeah, know? yeah. Different kind of jail, yeah. So just tell us a bit about your journey. Like there was a, a point there where you escaped from prison, was <laughs> Yeah, sure. So I, I escaped from, um, it was called Old Silver Water back. Minimum security? Yeah, minimum. Mm. I think they say medium, right? Mm. Yeah, like there was one spot in that jail that I'd spotted repeatedly, and um, why escape? Were you getting a hard time? Nah, nah. Yeah, I had yeah. like thirty thousand dollars outside, bro. It was just itching oh, at me, man. It was just itching at me. I had thirty grand outside. I had a partner who was pregnant, mm. and um, and I just couldn't help myself. I uh, look actually in saying that, I think the two thousand Olympics um had just gone. It was two thousand one, right? So mm. I remember. I won't say his name, who, who escaped in 2000. I know Stebo, yeah. Yeah, all right. So mm. he escaped in 2000. Um, and then, and so the security had definitely been upped since then, and that wasn't an They easy. made a big deal when they escaped, weren't they? Oh. Didn't they? they made a big deal, a couple of prisoners. Oh, no, Stebo wouldn't mind me saying he's Alan yeah, Stebbins. Yeah, sure. Alan Stebbins escaped and someone else escaped from Silverwater by the Olympics. Well, they made a big, big deal of it. Yeah, I think one of them hijacked one of the, <laughs> one of the officials or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And because Silverwater Prison is close proximity to Homebush, where the Olympic Games and when the Olympic Village was. Yeah, just around the corner. And there was a bit of concern. (laughs) Yes, yes. So I managed to get out, mate, and, um, like, it was a... It was a fucking mission too. So I had thirty grand outside. Right? I was yeah. itching to get out. Oh, and not only that's that, a big temptation. Though. Most yeah, it was. most blokes sitting in jail have got nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and I was using in there as well. Um, I'm on the methadone. I'm on 120 more methadone as well. Um, I think we we're getting a bit of um. It was. I was mate. I was stoned every day in jail through that sentence. Like at at, at the jail, I was on the smoker every single day, you know, mm. um, and and the dome as well. But um, managed to managed to. We went to Kairos one night. Um, I had planned. That's a Christian sort of. Yeah. Where co- you can get, you go Christian sort of a, a college type thing where you go and get good food and yeah, you get coffee and biscuits for us. <laughs> That's where I was going. You know? <laughs> but bless um anyone who goes, you know, but because you would sit around at the end of the night and you'd hold hands and, and say some kind of prayer. Well, while they were holding hands and saying some kind of prayer, me and old mate um, ducked out the back of the visiting area and, um, mate, I was a lot more agile back then. I believe I was 25. I was a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I weigh 102 kilos there. I was like 65 back then. I managed to um, scale this fence up the inside. There's only one section in that entire jail that you can get out through the fence and it's because mm-hmm. the barrel overlaps one side, like it, when you say a barrel, there's a yeah. barrel that's at the top of the fence that you can't hook anything onto because nah, you'll, you'll just slide off. But anyway, there's one section in that jail where the barrel um, meets another barrel, and one side of the barrel had to lean the other way, just the way it was set up. And that that spot, I managed to um, get up and scale up and get on top of that mm. that fence. Um, how how tall was it? How Mate, it's twenty four foot. Mm. You know, so it's twelve meters. I remember being up the top of that, thinking, mm. if I fall, I'm dead. Eight like, meters. like, because there's sharp, pointy fences mm. down below yeah. too. And I remember there was one part where I literally had to, I think, like release all grip of everything to grab onto another bit. Um, and I remember thinking, fuck, if I if I fall here, I'm gone. And then I'm up on the barrel, right? And there's about maybe a 40-foot dash or 40-metre dash to the edge because I'm still in the middle of the jail because um, the barrel's running the inside of the jail as well, not mm. just the perimeter. Um, and that's why there was a barrel leaning up against the other side. And um, I remember ducking along that fence and then um, Mr. Mister Singh, like um, the, one of the officers with the turban, mm. spotted me up on the fence. It mm. was never meant to happen like mm. that, you know. And I could just imagine he... Um, well, back to what he would have thought, fucking old mates up on the fence. It was actually two of us. Yeah. I won't talk about um, the other the other guy that came with me, but um, yeah, there was two of us up on the fence. He was a shit, and anyway, he did. You know, he was straight on the radio. Yeah. So our little plan to um, lawfully escape with you, because that that prayer that was going around the visiting area. Um, they wouldn't have noticed straight away. Yeah. We would have wrapped it up, and anyway, so. Yeah, he's seen us up on the barrel. He's straight on the radio screaming. Um, so we've had to, and you've got a razor wire as well towards the um the perimeter as well. You don't well. get caught in that. Nah. So and I did get caught in it. Like I was running through fucking razor wire. I don't know how the fuck I did it to mm. be honest. The methadone, mate. Yeah, the methadone <laughs> and some um adrenaline and mm. the will to get on. Like mm. um, see how powerful it is. Like yeah. I have thirty thousand dollars waiting for me out there. Yeah. I um jumped off the fence. Mate, and it was a big fucking jump, like 24-foot. Um, once you're on top of that barrel, it's a massive fence. I landed on my arm. Um, like My arm was black and blue from my shoulder to my wrist. Mm. Um, ran down Holker Street, down to Parramatta River. I had to jump a couple of other fences. By this time, all the coppers and the squad were on to me, um, dog squad. But we'd bounced a couple of fences. They couldn't get to us like it was yeah. it's hard to sort of but then i swam Parramatta river mate <laughs> so over to ermington yeah yeah well yeah it is it's kind of i guess, i guess it's up a bit from ermington because it's not far it's literally silver water i would think mm. but yeah you, you know what i'm talking about yeah. big river too big like swim, bull sharks yeah they reckon there's some bull sharks i'm pissing our blood from the razor wire my legs are cut to pieces from the razor wire and it's pitch dark too rust there's no mm. lights down mm. on the fucking parabata river no like it's pitch black and um i remember swimming like fucking hell 
oh, my God, I'm going to get eaten, but more so um, just the adrenaline. I got to the other side, and by this time, all the squad and that, they knew where we were, but they couldn't possibly get to us, so water police were on their way. Um, then we're in mud up to, like, our necks um, through these mangroves, and the water police couldn't see us even. We ended up taking this little creek called Duck Creek, which ventured off the side of Parramatta River, which brought me out on... Um, Parramatta Speedway, mate, and uh, and I got away yeah, at Granville, yeah, yeah. Wow, and what happened from there, mate? Did you get to your thirty thousand? Yeah, I, I, I did, mate. Poor mum and dad, fuck. So that night, simultaneously, my partner's house, my mum's house, my dad's house, all got raided by the cops. Like, let's say ten p.m. that night. Um, but in the meantime, on the phone, on the jail phone, I'd arrange for my mum to drop some money off to my partner. because yeah. uh, And I said to Michelle, I said, listen, if I could see you tonight, this is on the 6th of February mm. 2001, it was her birthday, right? Yeah. I said, if I could see you tonight, would you be okay with that? And she said yes, yeah. so that was it. So I arranged the money to be dropped to her. Um, and anyway, um, the next day, after all the family's houses got raided, we are in some chatty hotel in Livo and had my mum and dad bring um like 15 grand to me and we had this mad plan how we're going to go to Perth and it's going to mm. be okay. You know? The old, uh, the dreams. I'm a, you know, I remember when I escaped, <laughs> it was like, we're going to get to Darwin, we're going to have a fishing boat, we're going to get to Indonesia and Bali and we're just going to live happily ever after. That's the dream of <laughs> all escapees. Yeah. And maybe end up in the States. Well, mate. I'm on the methadone too. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. Dear. I'm on 120 methadone. So did, by the next morning, you would have started to withdraw if you didn't have methadone, but you would have been... Yeah, but I had money, you know, mm. so I was on the... I was I was using heroin. I was mm. using a lot of heroin. Would have been a lot of heroin. You would have had to use yeah. a lot of heroin to get... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I had lots of money. <laughs> so, But you have a certain fear with that, and the money's going to run out, and you're going to be sick. Russ, I, I swear to God, the next day, I, I got pinched... Oh, you're not going to believe this. I was in Liv- in Liverpool Cemetery between behind Westfields. There's this old yeah. cemetery at Westfields in yeah. Liverpool. You know the one? Yeah, yeah. I was, one. Yeah. I was having a shot in there, shooting up some heroin with with Michelle um, in there, and coppers on push bikes came through, and they fucking pinched me, right? They got me. This is the day after I've escaped, right? And I've given them, I've thrown them a, a body name, right? And and I knew the date of birth, like of course, like it was a proper body. Um, and and they questioned me. I've got all these cuts. I'm cut from head to toe, like all these not deep, deep cuts, but of course I'm real. And they said, "What happened?" I'm like, "What's all this?" Oh, sus as I said, I went motorbike riding, you know, through the forest on the weekend. It was kind of a good little cover. Yeah. And they, anyway, I got away. Um, we can we can tell some amazing stories. <laughs> yeah, like, like, but I can't believe I've got fucking two coppers. Question me today. I'm on the run for escape too. Mm. They would love to know who I was. Mm. But anyway, yeah. And and how long after it did you get caught? Oh, so I got caught on the 14th of February. Of February, so it's, what's that? Seven, eight days later in Perth. Um, you got to Perth. Yeah, got to Perth, mate. Good old another walk, walk eye. This guy, he hooked me up with some fake IDs, which actually we didn't even need. We got mm. all intricate because I had cash. Mm. We want to get mm. some fake IDs. Got on the plane to Perth. But you don't even need ID to get to no. Perth. You just fucking book just a flight, a get on the plane. Just go and pay cash. <laughs> but, yeah, that's right. But um, yeah, got to Perth. But here's the thing: she was pregnant, my partner, right? Mm. And um, she had to have a methadone. And I thought, and this is kind of true. I thought the warrant for escaping wouldn't go in a state. Well. Sydney coppers were on tour because they were happy to go for a trip to fucking oh, they to love the trip. Australia. So, so yeah. Sydney detectives were followed us down there. Michelle got on the dome. We had to get her a dose because she's pregnant. Bam! Fucking next thing you know, they're kicking in the hotel room at four a.m. Um, drag me out naked, um, poolside. Um, left her in there. I guess they just launched in, dragged me. Out. I was resisting. Um, I copped a bit of a. A beating um, out beside the pool. Boom, they had me again. Chucked me in the Perth watch house for three days. That's when I really hung out. Mm. She was sweet because she was pregnant. They had to put her back on the methadone. I was hanging out like a fucking dog, mate. Mm. Um, and then eventually shipped me back home to back, back to Sydney, mate. So just tell me 
where did the change all start to begin? Where did you just sort of think to yourself, how old were you and where were you at when you thought, fuck, I've had enough of this? Yeah, bro. So, um, look, I I share often that I had about 50 rehabilitation attempts. It's ridiculous. Like, mm. honestly, because I had this beautiful, loving mum. They give you some guilt, don't they? Don't yeah, yeah, well, like, it's like I kind of wanted to change. When I say mm. kind of, like... But did you feel bad seeing what you were doing to your mother? Like, did it give you a conscience? Did you sort of have anything? Like, I, I know I did. Yeah. But fucking the, the monkey on my back soon to fucking soon talked me out of that. Yeah. Yeah, Russ, uh, look, I'd like to say yes, and I'm sure I did, of course, because that's why I kept going, yeah? Mm. That's why I kept trying all these detoxes and rehabs. But, um, sure, I mean, I, I did, but I could never understand the impact I had on my loved ones until I was a good five years clean in recovery before mm. I really understood. But I started going to detox and rehabs at the age of 18, you know. Um, McKinnon was one of the first ones to Cumberland Hospital um, at Parramatta, um, yeah. Wisteria House. There's so many rehabs that aren't even around anymore, mm. detoxes. But mate, finally, after the 49th attempt, I was... Um, I went to Herbert Street Clinic in um, St. Leonard's this time around. I took some drugs into detox with me like I always would if I could. Um, yeah, because you don't want it to be that bad. <laughs> yeah, but... You don't like, want to do... You, you agree to do detox, but you want the, the symptoms to be on your, you on were, your terms. Your terms, yeah, yeah, that's right. But then you still... And anyway, so I got through that detox and I started bringing um, rehabs and I, I, I got admission to this place called... Um, Foundation House, um, Surrey Hills, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, in uh, Lilyfield, okay, yeah, yeah, and um, so I went there, and I ended up going there hanging out too because I'd already bodged my detox because mm. I was using while I was meant to be withdrawing. So then I remember being in in that twenty eight day program at Roselle hanging out, but um, mate, that's when my journey started, you know, mm. and um, I, I, I did things a lot different. I guess there's so much to talk about on this stuff, but yeah. Um, but it's a good journey, Danny. It's an interesting journey. It's an inspirational journey because you come from the depths of despair. Um, look, I, I always think, like, when I think back to those early... I'll just, I'll just show you something. Yeah, I'll just say, yeah. jail call. Uh. You are about to receive a phone call from the correctional <laughs> facility. <laughs> the conversation way. will be recorded yeah. and may be monitored. Just bear with me for one sec. I'm about to get a good. You can't not I know, I do. I do. Correctional centre. Yeah, I hear it. Hey, brother. Hey, Kane. I'm just in the middle of a podcast. I just thought I'd answer your call because I just wanted to get the viewers to get the effect of uh, a jail call. But look, give us a call back in an hour and we'll have a yarn, yeah? Oh, my brother. I'll talk to you soon. Take right. care, right? Take care, bye. Bye. When you hear that, how do you feel? Yeah, Russ, look, mate, um, I get a few of those phone calls too. Um, and what a what an honour it is for us to be able to take those phone calls, I guess. And the gratitude. Yeah, like, uh, and it's one of those calls that you, like, I, I recognise, look how important it was to you that you answered that. You yeah, know, yeah. I think that's beautiful, mate. I don't know, for me, when I hear that, yeah. I get, I get full but, of gratitude because I'm yeah, fucking glad it's sure. not me. It gives me a bit of anxiety too, Russ. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Here, that they're about to snip you. Fuck, <laughs> remember that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's get back to your journey. Let's get yeah, back man. to your at Foundo. Yeah, doing everything wrong. I've been in that 28-day program for, for two days, and I'm already on to some tax rort that they'll... That, uh, some, Stolen feed taste better than I bought one. I was going to get $5,000. Of course I'm going to do it, right? Mm. I'm, I've got a few debts. I'm doing some tax rort. I'm at the, in the first three days of being at, at that 28-day program, and then... And I've got my mobile phone as well. You're not allowed to have your mobile mm. phone, of course. So Maintaining the behaviours that oh, get yeah. us there. I point this out because, like, it's hard to change everything, yeah. you know. But this time I started doing things very different. So I'd had 49 attempts, like I said before, and there were so many things that I refused to do. Like, they asked me to do writing and, and to start calling people and doing all these stuff. Well, this time I just started doing all of that stuff, you mm. know. I got through that first three days hanging out too because by the time I got to that program, I didn't have any more drugs. I had no more medication. I just had to – and I had to act like I'd already done it at detox. Otherwise – I wouldn't have got in as well because I lied because mm. I'd been using while I was in detox. Mm. Like I said, I took drugs. So It's good uh, when you run out of excuses. Yeah, it is. That's what it was like, mate. It was like I ran out of excuses, just fucking cop it, Dan, and, and do this. And it's like that was it. That was the, 
the beginning of this journey, you know, I started, I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing, but I was doing all the things that I should have been doing mm. too. I think everything I do that I shouldn't be doing, I need to do two good things. Mm. Um, and when I say good things, I'm talking about the stuff, you know, that I learned through the 12-step fellowship, you know, the suggested things, the mm. things that rehab wants you to do, writing mm. on fucking assignments, taking diaries, doing gratitude lists, taking a short journal, mm. Things like that, mate. Yeah, the rehab that I have done, the last rehab I done was a private rehab, and it was really big on writing. They were really big on yeah, writing. Right. And fuck that, that's good for me. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, see my thoughts. Yeah, it of course, and I think I honestly think that's one of the critical things that made it different for me this time. It wasn't so much what we're writing; it was just the fact that I was doing something for myself. Mm. I'd never done something for myself, you know. I wanted everybody else to do it for me. Mm. I think that's where it starts. Um, then I went on and did, um, I got into another place um, at Glebe, yep, Glebe, House, Glebe House, the place I ended up working for the next 10 years, um, incredible program, and I got um, immersed in a whole bunch of other stuff that I'd never, I'd never What I, I liked about Glebe House was a lot of rehabs taught, take the attitude, you got to tell to get well, yep. which Glebe House didn't take, and I really liked that. They didn't take the belief that, exercising because exercising is a part of my mental health is jail behavior and they they facilitated that and but when i walked through the doors of glebe house one of the facilitators there was a bloke mark g who was just a, a guru of recovery he said we'll love you back mate and that's what yeah. i needed to hear yeah i needed to hear that because i didn't want to fucking these people are going to pull out the sandpaper and rub me back to bare metal and not know how to respray me for sure yeah. And Mary, old Mary was there at the time, an old Irish man, and she yeah. was just a straight shooter. And sure, first sure. thing she said to me is, don't think you're fucking unique because you're not. And oh, fuck, I was highly offended. <laughs> Doesn't that yeah. fucking smash your ego? What do you mean I'm not unique? Of course I'm unique. I'm fucking special. No, you're fucking not. Not here, you're not. Yeah, bro. Absolutely. Look, um, both of those people you mentioned play a huge part in my – a huge, huge part. Like, Mark – what a legend. Like, he was my case manager and um, and Mary, too, you know. She said to me um, when I started studying um, two years later, she said, you'll never work here. And I'm um, sure <laughs> enough, like, because that same attitude, you know, but sure enough, six months later, she's ringing me up to do my first shift, you know. Yeah. Um, so, she's an amazing woman. Yeah. Look, I think it's good. I need to be challenged by her. There's so many things I learned from her. It teaches you a lot, that place, about humility. <laughs> I think personally, the structure yeah. of that program, I don't know how it is now, and I'm, I you yeah. know, hear varying things, but for, for someone who's done a lot of jail, who's, who's been, because let's face it, you get traumatised through jail. Yeah. And I think inadvertently they address a lot of that trauma that you go through. Yeah, look, Russ, definitely. There's no place like that place, you know. And it works for some reason, and I, I do know why it works. I mean, I worked there for 10 years. Um, it's just, it's really, uh, there's a term called, it's a boutique service. It's mm. really individualised. We work, they work individually with um, people, unlike other programs, you know. Like, it's not one set of rules for one person. It kind of gets changed for each person. I'll tell you a funny story. I used to, there's a gym around Victoria Park, and um, and yeah. you weren't allowed to leave there before 6 o'clock, but yeah, I used to sunlight. sneak, I used yeah. to sneak out. Yeah. Because at front of Victoria Park, there's a pool, and all these academics from Sydney University, which yeah. are right next to it, yeah. used to sit out there and talk for 20 minutes. Yeah. And I used to like earwigging on their yeah, conversation I because I was earwigging on their conversation because it was a conversation I'd never heard before, and it was a normal conversation, and I fucking needed to hear that shit. When I got pulled up about going sneaking out early and i told them what i do it for they said yeah go you're allowed to do it and they yeah. just made exceptions for me that's that that's <laughs> i remember that you back then russ i remember those days 100 percent. yeah i remember that conversation exactly what you're talking about and that's that boutiqueness yeah, of it. It is, like they yeah. said okay well this will benefit him and that's not this stupid shit that other rehabs are. no they're the rules you can't break the fucking rules sometimes the rules got to be adjusted yeah, to yeah. get a result depending on your circumstances as well. Like, for example, if we knew that old mate could possibly down be down there uh, who would interfere with you uh, and could, like, I mean, could trigger you, if if there could be a whole different bunch of circumstances that would not made that okay, but on that occasion, that was okay. And we, we believed what you were saying. Mm. Uh, and there was probably some kind of evidence to support what you were saying was true as well. So we made a decision that day mm. to say, okay, maybe this would be good for us. <laughs> 
All right. So, Danny, you played a part on our, not only in my own recovery, but I guess, you know, the satisfying part of it would have been like, I guess you could be, you're like a farmer. You're planting a lot of seeds. Yeah. And you're watching them seeds grow into productive human beings and people that went on to have amazing lives. And I, I, I know heaps of them. I know you, you, you get a lot of credit for a lot of people's recoveries these days. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll jump on TikTok, social media, or, Dan, the man on uh, on TikTok, give him a follow because he, yeah, thanks, he, he jumps bro. on there and does some amazing stuff. And Dan, Dan, what what's your YouTube handle? Yeah, I think it's just Danny Shannon. Danny Shannon, yeah. Danny Shannon on 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 you uh, on, on Instagram and Facebook. Give yeah. him a follow. You, you spread a lot of gratitude, man. You plant you you plant a lot of seeds where you're coming, mate. Surely that is so satisfying. Yeah, Russ. Look, I am. I, I don't know how. Um, I guess I just get on there and share the truth. You know, that's the most amazing part about it, yeah. being in recovery and being authenticity able to have a, too. Yeah, brother. yeah. Just being authentic. Being able to have a voice and represent in that field is um, an incredible honour too. So I try and do it as much as I can. And, and, yeah, I've been very lucky over, you know, working in the industry. Like I'm currently 13 years, one month and 20 days or something, clean and, clean and serene, let's say. Yeah. Um, in that time, I've had a lot of experience working with a lot of people. When I say working with, just chatting with a lot of people, mm. being there, planting the seed, like you say. Yeah, and so. you deal with a lot of broken people. Yeah, you're mate. helping them put back the pieces yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. Look, and again, the easiest way to do that. Um, I'm not someone who goes into the childhood, into the deep past. Too. In fact, I've had to pull back from doing that stuff because I'm very. Um, what do you call it? Like I take on a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, I'm very um, sensitive even too. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I've realised what I'm good at, you know. And it's not digging deep into your past, but I truly believe there's something we can work with today to help you become a better person and move forward and become a happier person mm. too. Because that's what I want. Just want to be happy. And I'm not saying that. There isn't someone who can help you do with work with the past, but I can help you work with the present, you know, and to make the most of of today as well. And that's all that's all I do, man. And that's what I love doing on TikTok and and Facey and, and all that sort of stuff. Is just carrying the message of uh, love and hope to anyone struggling, bro. I, I, you know, obviously, I'm involved in the TikTok and yeah. the, with yourself, and we jump we jump on there together yeah, and and, and spread and spread the message. And it's it's a really good platform for people. I'm getting these people that were haters at the beginning, and their kids get into trouble, and they go, "That's the bloke we go to," and yeah. they go, "Oh, mate, look." Um, Oh my kid! I really fucking thought you're just this criminal being glorified and everything like that. But we now our son's on ice now. We just want to reach out. And, oh, I love that. I love those people. I love the humility of those people. You know, and you get it. You get that sort of stuff where people, yeah, Russell. dirty rotten junkie, yeah. the tag of dirty rotten junkie. But you're the first person they ring. When someone, we'll just call it a troll. When someone trolls you, right? And then within the same conversation, or a week or two later, they're. They're like on your team, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. like um, I see it all the time, and I understand it too. Like mm. I understand it. Hurt people, hurt people, right? So they're going to get a bit of payoff in in making and bagging it because it goes back to that thing, you know, self-reflective. Yeah, the self-reflective thing. So, but then they stick around for long enough. They think, oh, hang on a minute, this guy is telling the truth. He he's being consistent with what he's saying, and then all of a sudden they start to see themselves in you too, and they go, all right, I need some help too. Mate, Russ, I take, let's say, 20 or 30 messages every single day. At the end of the night, uh, this is really important that I can share this. Like, at the end of the night, I I open up probably 30 messages in my um, outbox, like from Facebook, mm-hmm. for example, right? And a lot of those messages are somebody begging for help, mm-hmm. right? Uh, this is a big pressure that I get put under mm-hmm. every single night. And actually, my response is generally always the same. But And then I get maybe... 10 um, from from loved ones saying, how can I help somebody too? And then you get the ones from people saying how much you have helped just from listening to you. Like that stuff is um, – it's incredible. It's incredible. Mm. But I wish um, – yeah, I wish there was more services available to help these people. It's not about the service, but they're connecting with me for some reason. So I spend sometimes two hours every night just responding to those questions. Um mm. And like I said, my response is pretty much the same, but I send an audio message to every single one of them people. That's you know? beautiful. That's personalising yeah. it. Yeah, it is personalising. It's easier for me because I can't be fuck texting, mm. but um, <laughs> they love it. Then they come back. So then that 
response opens up another 20 messages because then they respond too. So, yeah, <laughs> mate, it's, it's difficult, mate. I, I, I just don't have enough time in the day. I yeah, I know you're doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. Right? But you know what? I, I, I think that I, some acknowledgement I, I, I talk about now, and I, I guess I don't know how you feel about it. I'll get you to answer it. But I say to people, right, you when they give me a nice compliment, I say, you're part of my healing journey, I say, because – what, I, what addiction robbed me was, it was self-belief, self-love and everything like that. But when I hear these beautiful comments, you're reinforcing what I need to be. For sure, Russell. And that self-love, yeah. you know what I mean? And they're, by a nice comment like that, they're just fucking helping me love myself again. And they're part of my healing journey by saying that. So, mate, that's a win-win situation. You do nice for them and they say something nice back to you and they're part of doing the rebuild. 100% mate Sometimes One of those comments Might really pick me up You know yeah. Maybe I just need to hear it At that one moment Maybe it's the way They said yeah. it The tone they said it But Always um, Always respond with an audio And I always let them know How grateful I am For their support I'll get them out of the blue too. From you Like compliments out of the blue And go fuck Yeah it's And often At the timing of it's uh, uh, Often amazing It's impeccable Man, your, your journey, Danny, uh, uh, is inspirational. Man, you've travelled the world. Where you been? Yeah, bro. That's, the gifts of recovery. Yeah, the gifts of recovery, Russ. So I, I became addicted to saving money probably about 10 months clean. Yeah, mm. I, I got in, I got involved in recovery and I started working at this footy job. They started um, travelling me around Australia, like chasing different sporting events. I had the best job ever. And anyway, that opened my eyes up to the world and I started saving some money Um. Next thing you know, I went to a convention, a 12-step fellowship convention in Thailand at about a year and a half sobriety. Then I started going to Bali. I've been to America. I've been to Europe. I bought a house in recovery, Russ, a little, mm. a little investment property. I remember property. a kabulcha. Yeah, that's right. Mm. <laughs> kabulcha. You yeah, bought this little investment property. I've had that now for six years. Mate, I... I remember one day I had like 20 grand saved in the bank and I was going to go on another holiday. And I thought, fuck, I could maybe buy a house, you know? And it, and it just hit me that day. I remember from the day it popped into my mind, I was just on a mission. How do I do this? I need to save up a bit more um, to get 5%. I had somebody else help me with buying. I pretty much just relied on other people to help me buy it and I just fucking bought one. Like if someone looks at you like a kid that's trying to get clean. Yep. And they look at you and they go, oh, look at this bloke, he's got a, you got yourself a nice car, you've got your own house, you've travelled all around the world. Man, that looks enterprising. You, that looks like, hang on, yeah. fucking that's inspirational. Kids want to go, fuck yeah, I can have that. Because by the time, you know, when, when in the depths of my recovery, I just thought there was no hope for fucking yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah, You know, but when you can see, that's what, when we, I remember a bloke called Hawkeye, as you know, Hawkeye, when they come in, that bloke was fun. He looked like he was having fun and recovery. You've always got a smile on your face. If you're a fucking sour fucking down on yourself, fucking recovery, that's the importance, I think, of being clean, is to make, to have, be having fun. Be For sure, it. man. Yeah, I've had lots of fun. And I, I, I agree, Russ. Like, if you build yourself a life worth living, like, if I don't ever want to pick up drink or drugs again, that's what I got told. Like, Danny, if you don't want to go back to the to the carnage of the past you need to build yourself a life worth living in that's exactly what i'm doing mm. i'll say it's not what i've done it's what i'm doing you know i definitely at the moment russ i'm going through um some really crazy shit in my life like um i've, I've recently resigned from that full-time employment that we we're talking about um they were making some big changes there that just weren't well, actually, I got a bit ambitious. I thought this just isn't going to work for me, and now I'm currently um in a position in my recovery, probably the most fearful I've been. Actually, like I've had so much fearful of what? Yeah, okay. So I've had so much um on tap for a long time. Thirteen structure. Well, You've had good structure. Yeah, yeah, routine, but not only that. Like had a good income coming in as well, mm. and now I'm left. I'm um, in this position where the last three months I've been trying to build myself something myself. Um, mm. um, and I'm, I've started running some um, groups um, monthly or fortnightly, uh, giving people an opportunity to sign up for that. Um, I'm doing a little bit of one-on-one -on -one work myself, but I haven't been able to put enough together. Mm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm back at this position now where I'm going to need to um, – 
Oh, and I'm also the founder of Encapsulated too. You know, mm. like I've sung. Can you explain that? Explain yeah, what Encapsulated. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. I'd love to really help you promote this. Yeah, always. It's get a great it. idea. So when I was about six years clean and sober, I was sitting in my office at the desk of where I was once a client on the opposite side of the desk where the staff's in. I was sitting there. I was chuffed. I was full of gratitude. I just celebrated six years clean. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder what I was like when I entered those doors, you know? What was I thinking? How was I feeling? And I came up with this idea, this concept to record a video mm. to my future self for my 10-year milestone for my 10-year birthday, which was very ambitious at the time because I was only six years and they often talk about in recovery, time. yeah, one day at a time. But there's nothing wrong with goal setting as well, no. you know. And I always encourage people to dream big. So mm. anyway, I started the camera rolling. I'd done a little bit of research to some questions you might answer when talking to the future you. And, mm. um, and boom, I started answering those questions on camera and I noticed this beautiful, unique, therapeutic process where this was me – Talking to my future self, for starters, it's really odd, unique experience. Secondly, nobody was there to judge me. It was just me talking to me. So I started talking about some pretty deep stuff that maybe I'd never even spoken about before. And lastly, I thought I had this tool to measure and capture the essence of who I am today and deliver that to my future self. And then I thought, you know what, this would be amazing for the clients coming through the program. Mm. Imagine if – because so often someone will come up to me and say, Danny, fuck, when's things going to get better, you know? Like I haven't changed, nothing's getting better, but I see massive change in somebody. Mm. We don't see it in ourselves, you Mm. know? So I also give people an opportunity to measure their growth and – I made, um, sure enough, I captured like hundreds of videos over the next couple of years doing that, got some incredible feedback and we've developed it now into a, into a web platform called Encapsulated. So we provide time capsule video programs allowing individuals to record and document their hopes, their mm. dreams, Great their idea. fears and their future aspirations mm. and then that gets locked away into our secure time-locked vault waiting to be discovered in the future in a, at a date that they choose. And then you can update maybe weekly or monthly as you progress towards your goals too. So we've got these questions that pop up on screen that will help guide the user to create and identify where they're at in their program. Mm. Yeah, and then it gets locked away um, securely, safely, and delivered um, at a date that you choose oh. in the future. And what's it do? Does it sort of give them a reminder of in, ten, in three years' time or whatever, and you go, hang on, this is you three years ago? Right, that's exactly what it does. It does a bunch of things. It gives you the opportunity to express yourself without fear of judgment. That's one of the most powerful things, I Beautiful. think, right? For example, whenever we're talking to a counsellor, a lawyer, whoever it is, I don't care how much trust you've got from them, there's always some kind of front mm. barrier. I think, well, there is for me anyway, and I've heard this feedback. So we are giving you an opportunity to talk about some of your stuff raw and unguarded um, because the question to ask you and you can just it's almost like you're just talking to yourself mm. and then yeah you can measure your growth and also when we verbalise our goals out loud it helps to keep us accountable and motivated as well so there's lots of benefits um, we're looking at doing some work with schools the corporate industry certainly around mental health and identifying athletes yeah athletes for sure well I was working a little bit with the NRL there for a little bit too um Look, the opportunities are limitless at the moment. We're just focused on the mental health and well-being in the corporate industry mm. and rehab definitely too. Like yeah. rehab's a huge. That's where the tool was born. Um, yeah. So how do how does someone get in contact with you, Dan, to do that? Yeah. Thanks, mate. Um, encapsulated.io. Um, on you'll find our internet service. We're currently just got some funding, so we're going through a whole new UI UX, which is a user interface and user experience mm. to give just because look. Mate, I'm a tech startup company. It's been going for five years. Mate, tech startup life is lonely, man. Thank goodness I've got a couple of amazing partners now who are involved. One in particular, Jess Gaddis. She's on to it. She'd be working hard right now on it. Mm-hmm. Just find me on social media, mate. Danny Sh- Dan-, Dan the Man on TikTok? Yeah. Danny D- Shannon yeah, on... Danny Shannon on Facebook. Danny Shannon on Instagram? It's Dan the Man on Instagram too. Danny Shannon on Facebook. And if you ever, um, if you want to just type Danny Shannon into Google, um, I've been really lucky to be in a bunch of media stuff this yeah. past. Was had a, an episode for Current Affair um, recently, Channel 7, SBS. Mm. I've been in a few newspapers and magazines as well. It's um, it's a wonderful journey, Sherrod. 
the the message of recovery, Russ. And I know, like you and I, and actually, I really look up to you, Ben. I, I share this with you often. Like, it's like I honestly feel like I'm a couple of steps behind you. You know, you you've got the business, you're doing this, and I. It's almost like I follow your lead, mate. Um, so yeah. I appreciate. Well, thank you. Yeah, you know? I, I, I think you're fucking a couple of steps ahead of me, isn't it? <laughs> Just a matter Good of perspective. Idea, when you're like, I, I, I say my life changed when I decided to be a service of others. Yeah, I think that's when I really realized my purpose in life and I realized my gift from that. Yeah, well, here's one of the most amazing things like, I get paid if I'm if I do have a job and if I'm doing what I love, I get paid to just do what I love, you mm. know. And they say that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? To love what you do. Yeah, you never work do, a day yeah, of life. You never work a day of your life. Mm. So if I – and look, I am – I'm making tiny little bits of um, income from doing what I'm doing. I even making a little bit on social media crazy. Yeah. So um, to do what I love is definitely my passion. So why wouldn't I keep doing that, you know? And, and at the end of the day, like service, like you just mentioned, I agree, Russ, you know, mm. the more I give – the more the universe will provide. And I think I only keep what I have by giving it away, so why wouldn't I just keep fucking giving? Yeah. Uh, That's what I say. I talk about, you know, I give I give more than I take. Yeah. And life's pretty fucking good. Life is pretty I've always got a roof over my head. Always got clothes on my good, bro. Yeah. yeah. Train, you know, and, and, yeah. and maintain like if I, I think it's about being congruent. I always try to fucking say what I'm going. You know, I'll do what I say I'm going to do. I think it's important. You do that in leaps and bounds. You know, one of the maddest things is right doing what we do. This is incredible. I don't know if you experience it to the degree I do, but. All I have to do is just tell the truth. Mm. It's like we don't have to put any front on. Mm. You can pull me out in front of a crowd, uh, up on stage, ask me a question, and I can literally tell people the truth. That might even involve some tears, some really bad shit that I've been through, and then people will give me a clap and say, yeah, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> keep keep going. What you're doing. Yeah, so it's yeah. the best, mate. Yeah, and that's you know, that's what I love about you, Dan. You're yeah. so positive, you're so outgoing, and you're so giving. Thanks, bro. Yeah. Uh, well, I am. I I think I got that from my mum. I think that's in my values and in my nature. But not only that, like I've learned that the more I give, like I said, you know, that's how this works, mate. Happiness comes like gratitude's an action, you know. Mm. Like we've heard that all before, and people might think, "What the fuck does that mean?" Well, I reckon it's like this. I reckon I can't just wake up feeling happy today, you know. Like I wake up feeling happy today as a direct result of the hard work and the action I put in yesterday, last week, and maybe even last month. You can't just expect to wake up happy. Gratitude really is an action. So the more I give um, on a daily basis, the, the kind of the more it ensures my futureness waking up happy. For sure. That's my that? formula, man. Yeah. Same. Uh, people say you're lucky. I say the harder I work, the luckier I get. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's gold, man. You know what it is? Good it's one. true. Yes. It's, it's true. And it's, you know, I got out of jail and I said, you know, one of my goals was work 12 hours a day, seven days a week for two years. I've yeah. done it. And that's what I say to people. Get yourself fucking busy, but get yourself busy and, and have that structure of fucking working, recovery, and maintaining your mental health. People wouldn't know this, Russ, but like I've been in contact with you pretty much to say month monthly at the very least yeah. for the last um 10 years 12 yeah 10 years, years. Yeah, at least 10, sometimes yeah, weekly yeah yeah, yeah yeah for sure and i've watched like i've watched you go you know from calling me from jail to having some ideas around some legal stuff which goes back to that mm. time you're sitting out the front of um victoria park listening to those people doing all their work you know mm. i've watched you grow over this last 10 years and develop this incredible like we used to chat while you're in jail and yeah. you talk about doing like your business stuff yeah, you know? yeah. voice of the survivor uh, the voice yeah. of the survivor you share about yeah i just wanted you to mention it rather than me <laughs> yeah. um but um you share about different reasons of uh, the law side of things you run things by yeah. me and we're and i've watched you continually stay motivated and move forward and not just that may be successful too rasta and that's yeah. why i say i really do it by uh, but um, success but success people say what is success and I, I say success is a state of happiness yeah good yeah it's a state of happiness who's success i remember a book i read it was called uh, summer hill by ass neil and, and he had these kids that went for these troubled kids that went and he said who's the success story the unhappy brain surgeon or the happy street sweeper who's the success story it's it's not your house yeah success shouldn't be gauged at your house at point piper yeah how success would be gauging what's in your heart what's in your head and how you feel 
Yeah, what about a combination of both? But like, oh, for sure. Yeah, it'd be good to have both. Eh? Yeah. I, I see a lot of, like I said, a lot of people who are successful but angry and unhappy, right? Yeah. Because we're, we're lucky. We've, well, I think we've got recovery. I've got yeah. recovery. Mm-hmm. And I hope, I don't, I can't see how I'd ever get to that stage. I reckon the way I'd ever get to that stage is stop doing what I'm doing. Yeah. But so for us, we can't quite imagine it. But yeah, when you say it like that, success is happiness and having some of that stuff, like, yeah. of course, like that's the yeah, I've got the stuff. I've got a nice car, a nice yeah. place to live. Yeah. But you, you, you know, it, it's a beautiful feeling, but that only comes through gratitude. Yeah. The gratitude, the appreciation of waking up. And I do my gratitude list every day. Yeah. I wake yeah. up and I'm just grateful that I'm fucking breathing. I've got two arms, two legs. And fucking, I'm clean today, and I'm not fucking hanging out. You've come a long way, Russell. For sure, thank you, mate. But but so have you, brother. Your journey's inspiration, and 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 thank you for playing a part in that journey, and thank you for playing a part in that that success, Dan. Because you definitely have. You've been an influential role. And as I say, I I, just to just to clarify a few things. I bring Danny Danny every every, like minimal once a fortnight, once a month from prison over four years. Did I like yeah. that phone call you were talking about before when old mate rang up? I, I would get that, and I was yeah. very, forever grateful for that. But, um, yeah, no worries. Then, and what I'd like to say is, yeah. like, say for instance, families have got a kid that's, yeah, are you open to do one on one counseling? Um, yeah, I am open to doing one on one stuff, and I do do that stuff. People can check out my Patreon page. Yeah, I've got this little um service set up, um, where I'm running two support groups each month, and on top of that, there's some other options as well to do some one on one stuff work with me. Some people don't want to get involved in community stuff, they want to get involved directly mm. with me. And, and look, one of the things, like I said, I don't go deep into your childhood and to your past that's not my thing but I can help guide you in the right direction it's kind of like a bit of a social worker I like to keep it a little bit up I just like to be authentic Russ Danny Shannon thanks for being on the sticker thanks so much Russ pleasure mate